and welcome to the Yoga of Resilience podcast presented by Vera Bhava Yoga. I'm your host, Kelly Golden, here to guide you in an exploration of yoga and its relationship to resilience. I'm a writer, yoga teacher, dedicated practitioner, and exhaustive thinker, and I've been practicing and studying yoga since 1995 and teaching since 2003. This podcast follows my exploration of Sri Vidya Tantra and its direct application to our lives in all situations, on and off the mat. Through contemplation, conversation, wondering, and experience, we unpack the ways in which resilience is synonymous with the path and practice of yoga, and the ways that both practices support us in showing up whole and alive in the midst of hardship and challenge. Most of these conversations were recorded live with current Virabhava Yoga students, and you can find yoga asana practices affiliated with each episode on our website, virabhavayoga.com. These practices and conversations are guideposts on the path to living a resilient life. If you would like to explore with us more deeply, check out our programs at virabhavayoga.com and practice with our teachers online and in your area. Hi, yogis and friends. This episode that you are about to hear on the Yoga of Resilience podcast was recorded live on December 3rd, 2020. In this episode, I explore unlearning as a path to resilience and poked around the possibility that learning and unlearning are really two sides of the same coin, a coin that leads us to the experience of resilience directly. I talk about the tantric understanding of learning and knowledge, and I challenge us to find our own knowing from within rather than give our trust away to external systems. This podcast was recorded during the turbulent times of the aftermath of the 2020 presidential election in the United States, and I did my best to address the uncertainty that was simmering in the atmosphere while also encouraging the students and listeners to explore new pathways of knowing and certainty. I hope you enjoy. Yay! Hey, let's talk about why we should unlearn yoga. You want to? Today we're talking about how unlearning is uh, a path to resilience. This is the Yoga of Resilience class that we do monthly. And I'm constantly curious um, in general, but particularly about how we can build resilience in um, our lives or how I wanna say how we can access resilience in times where we feel like maybe we're not um, approaching life with the most buoyancy and the most uh, capacity that we have to offer. So I've been thinking a lot about yoga. Shocking. Um, and it is uh, quite ironic that someone who teaches yoga for a living, I literally have for 19 years, this has been my gig. I've been teaching yoga for a long time, maybe as long as some of you have been alive. I've crossed that threshold of doing something as long as people have been alive. Um, and my yoga teaching has grown and expanded and changed and morphed and transformed over the years. Um, but primarily, I really, I really struggle to let go of the idea that what I teach is yoga. Um, recently, in the last five years, I've been really trying to understand more deeply what yoga is. I've been blessed with some amazing teachers that have really... Um, fantastic scope of understanding of the practice and background and study. And that's helped stretch the boundaries of my perception of yoga. And the premise of this class that we meet every once a month uh, on a Thursday is that yoga and resilience are the same thing, right? They're not different. The experience of yoga and the experience of resilience are the same thing. So it's very interesting that my job in the world and my life has been built around learning yoga and practicing yoga. And then I'm going to invite you 
into the possibility that to access resilience, we might have to unlearn. And that seems to be a bit paradoxical, but if you've been hanging out with me for long enough now, you know that if it's not a paradox, we need to poke around until we can find the paradox in it. And so maybe the idea of learning yoga and the need to stop learning or to unlearn what we've been taught are actually two sides of the same coin. That's, that's what I'm going to offer today. Um, so I've got a list. I always have things. I rarely look at them. So I want to start with a question. And a lot of this, so first of all, I, I want to remind you that I don't come here with any answers. I don't have answers to the questions that I pose. I just have opportunities for us to think about things and see where it takes us. So why do we learn anything? In this context, we're talking about yoga, but why do we want to learn anything? We have, we are born into these amazing <clears throat> machines, computer, brains and machine-like bodies that are designed to receive input from our environment, assimilate it within ourselves and understand sort of innately what to do with it, right? I see that Amber um, has, is bringing her son in and out of the screen, right? He's a little, he's a wee little thing. And amazingly, without much help on our part, he learns. That's just how he's built. That's how we are all built. We are built to learn. That is the structure and function of the computer between our ears and the machine of our bodies. We are built to learn. So it's not strange or wrong for us to want to learn. From the yogic perspective, we're also imprinted as we come in with all of the knowledge that exists. In Tantra, they say that the entire knowledge of the universe exists in every cell, every cell, sentient and non-sentient beings, every cell that exists holds or contains everything there is to know, right? So what Tantra would say or what yoga generally, not popularly, but maybe more traditionally encourages us to do is to remember learning is a process of remembering. <clears throat> uh, the word in Sanskrit is smarana, S-M-A-R-A-N-A, -A -A, smarana. And the idea that we can remember what we already know is something that most likely you have all experienced. So some of you are current students in, in the Virabhava trainings, maybe some of you are studying yoga with other people as well. And, and it's not uncommon, no matter what level of practice or studentship you have, to have an aha moment where one of your yoga teachers or maybe one of your university professors or, or maybe a stranger on the street offers you a piece of knowledge and it feels familiar. You're like, oh, right, I totally knew that. It's just that no one has ever said it that way or it's never been presented in, in quite a way that I could make it something that I knew. But as soon as you receive the knowledge that you gain, you have this recognition that the knowledge that you gain, you've always known. Now, uh, I just wrote a blog post about this. So if you guys got the mass email yesterday, you can read a little bit more into that rant um, when, you're, when we're not together. But we've been taught by the systems that we are enmeshed in and, and we, you know, if you're living in the dominant culture of North America, even if you do things differently, you're still enmeshed in this culture, 
right? In this system, even if you choose to educate your children at home, even if you choose to do the unlearning, you're still in this cultural system of um, the dominant culture of North America. So we're in, in some way, we've all been taught to doubt what we know. And then in our doubt, that we need someone else to teach us what we don't know so that we can become less doubtful. Have you noticed this? Maybe some of you are doing this. Congratulations, Anna, on your recent graduate school application, uh, admission. So we all do it, right? We all show up to yoga wanting to learn or be told things that we don't already know so that we can become more masterful in our practice or um, more skillful in our teaching, but I want to posit that maybe we're getting it all wrong. Maybe to continually give our internal awareness, our internal knowing, our internal authority to someone else that knows more is creating more problems than it's solving. We learn so that we can remember what we already know. And according to Tantra, what we already know is literally everything. And we learn so that we can become aware when we forget, right? So that when we forget that we have the knowledge that we need and it is accessible in us, then those aha moments help us remember. So we go to teachers, we go to, um, guides, we go to coaches to be told the things that we already know that we need that to be reflected back from the outside to remember. The power of awareness and the power of using learning to build awareness is that you become more and more empowered to make choices from inside of yourself. You become less and less dependent upon structures outside of you to dictate what you choose to do in your life. And that's a scary place, right? To make a choice from inner direction as opposed to what you're told is the right thing to do or uh, to go against the wrong thing. Um, it's a risky place because we risk being in an unknown and uncertain land with no foundation beneath us and no support around us, right? Yes, and even when you do everything right and you follow the rules and you do what you're supposed to and you're a good learner and you're a good performer of what you've learned, you're still in that insecure, unsafe place full of doubt, never knowing. Right, I have, I've been doing this yoga gig for a while and I've yet to meet a person, myself included, that isn't racked with doubt sometimes. One of the most uh, popular statements for, for a while I got really into getting onto people's private yoga teacher pages and asking uh, provocative questions. <laughs> Because everybody on the private pages were yoga teachers already. And so I'd ask these provocative questions. And one of the questions I asked this about a year ago, one of the questions I asked was, do you feel, do you, have you learned enough in your yoga teacher training to feel confident as a yoga teacher? And the overwhelming answer is that the more I learned, the more I realized I didn't know. Right? The more that you go into a field of study, the less expert you feel. And when we're talking about yoga, guys, when we're talking about millennia long, uh, culturally embedded teachings of wisdom traditions and technologies and practices that have um, so many tentacles of experience and, and uh, expression to think that a teacher training could teach you everything you know, need to know about yoga is maybe the best kind of insanity, but it's probably not going to teach you everything that you need to know about yoga. Most of what a yoga teacher training does is teach you what you don't know about yoga. And that is that, that 
opportunity to learn what we don't know is the threshold at which possibility and potential exists and opens. If our learning, if our structures of learning were teaching us how to be excited about what we don't know, if they were teaching us that the discovery of what we don't know is just as valuable, just as important, just as worthy of your scale of perfection as knowing what you know at an expert level or becoming masterful at what you know, then it might be possible that our learning would turn us into rememberers, right? Rather than high level performance artists. So when our learning demands of us a certain level of perfection or mastery, it starts to become the thing that keeps us from learning. Right, when we're, uh, and I see it all the time in really, really smart yoga people, really, really well-developed practitioners who are concerned about failing their final exam in yoga teacher training. Right, and the first thing I say in every uh, teacher training weekend, whether it be 200 or 300, is you really can't fail yoga. You just can't, no matter how hard you try, you can't fail at yoga. Now you could not remember all the information that I'm gonna tell you, but that has nothing to do with yoga, nothing. The information I'm gonna tell you is simply that, it's information. And the information pertains to a history and a tradition and practices and skills and experiences and all of that's great. But if that information isn't turning you inward, and reacquainting you with the truth of who you are, then it's not yoga, it's just information, right? So if you're gonna succeed at yoga, all you have to do is turn the lens around and stop pointing it out and trying to get validation and, and support from everyone else around you. And, and, um, and I'm a big fan of degrees. I'm, I think education is amazing. But if the education that you're receiving is to try to heal some sort of wound of doubt or fear or insecurity or unworthiness, it's not going to ever provide that for you, right? So why do we learn? We learn to remember smarana, and then we learn so that we can make choices from a place of awareness. And in Sanskrit, that's called viveka. And some of the ancient teachers, I don't know if they would be considered ancient, some of the uh, traditional teachers of yoga, one of, the, one of the people that's considered to be the grandfather of Tantra, depending on who you ask, always. He says that Viveka is the highest level of spiritual practice or skill. So the ability to make a discerning choice based on your compass arrow pointed inward is the experience of Viveka, is one of the highest spiritual practices. And the ability to continually turn your compass arrow inward, that's yoga. It's really that simple. And I don't mean to oversimplify something that has uh, overtones of, of great complexity and mysticism. But when you start putting yourself in the picture as the central authority to every decision you make, that is kind of mystical. When it's not about your job or your relationship or your children or your health insurance or your retirement plan, when it's not about where you live or who you hang out with or what you drive, when it's only about how you feel, that's mysticism. It's what sent Shams down the well, if you know the story of Rumi and Shams. And it doesn't mean that you disregard all of the people that you love and all the people that you care about when you are living from your inner innate knowledge, what I'm going to call yoga. Everyone benefits. 
where we start to harm each other and our friends is when we deny who we are and start to seek what we need from outside of ourselves. Then we start to put the burden of our own safety, security, knowing experience on everyone outside of us. And that's a heavy burden to carry, right? And a lot of people, because they love you, they love all of us, they wanna give us that security, right? So another reason we learn, my favorite, it's the reason I teach, we learn the rules so that we can break them skillfully. The reason that Virabhava has a 200 hour program is so that we can teach you the rules of, um, I wanna say asana and vinyasa and sequencing within a context of Tantra. But we still teach you the rules because there's value in rules. There's value in understanding why they exist. A lot of us uh, in, in the 200 hour program, you do uh, a fairly extensive anatomy course. And you know, my joke, not being an anatomist is uh, you do a course to help you remember all the things that you've been living inside and with your whole life, right? So you're gonna learn the anatomy of the knee, but you have had at least one, if not two knees, most of us, for our whole lives. For some reason, we struggle to trust what we've had or even struggle to feel what we have until someone else outside of us tells us what it is, how it works, and how we should use it. I find this fascinating. I find it fascinating that we have become so disconnected from the innate experience of ourselves that we need someone else from outside of us to tell us whether or not we're using our knee correctly. I'm not saying that it's bad. And again, the 200 hour teaches you all of those rules so that you know, when you look at someone else, whether they're using their knee correctly or not. But it's at the same time, I would love for you to wonder, why don't they know? I can see they're not using their knee correctly. I wonder, why they can't feel it, right? So one of the downsides of this system of learning that we have been born into, that we're enmeshed in, is that it trains us to disregard our own feelings, our innate understandings of ourselves, right? And if you're a teacher on this call, I love you, and this is not a personal critique. But when you were running down the hall as a kindergartner, because your body, everything in your body said, run. And someone said, stop running. You received a message that everything that your body was telling you and feeling and needing to respond to was wrong. That you couldn't trust this feeling of wanting to burst forth and run and you needed to be and this is used a lot in schools paying attention to someone outside of yourself that has more knowledge or more authority to tell you what you need to do right stay seated keep your hands to yourself our hands are like antennas and when we're young they're learning with us and for us and as us all the time and then we are told we can't use them anymore and all of this over and over and over does two things it sends the understanding that learning only happens in our brain that intelligence only exists in our brain becomes imprinted in our understanding of learning. And then other thing it does is it, it allows us to be controllable. Because you know, have you been in a room with 10 six-year-olds recently? It's out of control, but not usually for them, just 
for the adult in the room, right? So we wanna learn why it is beneficial to control certain aspects of our movement, of our um, anatomy, of our consciousness. But classical yoga, so Raja yoga or Ashtanga yoga, has gotten so into control that it has disregarded that part of us that might know more or better or differently. My sense as I mature in my practice is that if I were teaching yoga as yoga, none of you would be doing the same thing. If I told all of you to go into warrior two, it would look 22 different ways. But because of how the system that we're a part of and the way that we've been taught and then the way that we're taught to give back our learning, all of us try to make our warrior two look one way so that we have uniformity. So I know that yoga is often translated as the word union, but I wanna challenge that. The word yoga means to yoke. And it means to yoke that part of you that you show outside with the part of you that knows inside. Right? That part of you that knows inside in certain traditions of yoga is synonymous with that which is bigger than you. So when you can yoke yourself to that part of you inside that knows and then that part of you inside that knows started, starts expressing itself into your external environment, you start to look distinctly like you and not necessarily like anybody else and not necessarily like the rules that you're supposed to follow. Does that mean that your warrior two won't have your front knee bent and your back leg straight and your back leg in uh, internal, slight internal rotation and your front leg in slight external rotation and your arms lifted? No. All of it might be just that, but the level of rotation of your thighs might be distinct to you. The, your arms might not be parallel to the floor. Your feet might not be three and a half to four feet apart. Your feet angles might not be 45 degrees or 90 degrees. They might be unique to you. And then what would happen? What would happen if that unique an individuated expression that you were born to be was allowed to be the authority in your life and your choices. What would happen? What would happen if you were the principal in your school of self? We learn the rules so that we can break them skillfully. We learn why it's important to have safety in our knee and then we can make the choice on how far we want to align with that rule or how far we wanna push beyond it or how far we wanna pull back from it, right? We learn the rule because the rules are the ingredients in the recipe. If you wanna bake a cake, then you need to have flour and sugar and some sort of fat right, some sort of liquid. And if you didn't know that and you just decided you wanna bake a cake with what you had in the kitchen and you put salt and black beans and rice, I mean, you could probably bake a cake that way but it's not gonna turn out like you're desiring it to turn out. So we learn the rules because they are the ingredients in the recipe. And then once you learn the rules, you can start expanding and stretching and playing and getting creative and being you inside the rules. So the rules themselves aren't bad. Learning's not bad as long as you know why you're doing it and what it is creating for you. Right? Who would have, maybe they never put vanilla in cake until someday somebody decided to break the rule and throw some vanilla in the cake and then it changed everything. Let's, I mean, let's not even talk about chocolate. Right? Total up level. Butterflower sugar, milk, chocolate. You're never going to know what your chocolate is until you give yourself the opportunity to stretch beyond 
the strict and unmovable rules of the recipe. And that's stretching, my friends, and you probably already know this if you've hung out with me a little bit, but that stretching is Tantra. The rules are the limits and the expansion beyond those rules is the experience of Tantra. When you start making yourself the authority in your experience, you become more resilient in every experience. You don't set yourself up to achieve or become or perform in any certain way. You don't set a bar of perfection that is dictated by something outside of you. Your bar of achievement is your relationship with yourself and how at home, how right, how true you feel in regards to who you are, regardless of what you're told you should be. That's a revolution, y'all. You start doing that, things will start changing. You might not like it. It might change might express itself as, uh, I lost my job, <laughs> right? So maybe we don't have the freedom or the space to change at the, at the level that we want every day, but every day we can stretch just a little bit beyond those rules and start to learn for ourselves, primarily learn how to trust our inner knowing. So one of the, one of the most often asked questions I get when I talk about this stuff is, well, how am I supposed to know? How can I trust myself? And the response I have to that is, well, how can you not? Who else would you trust? We have been taught to not trust ourselves to the level that we truly believe we can only trust other people to tell us what's right for us. It's fascinating. It's spectacular. I don't know if it's necessary. I don't know if it's helpful. But it's really interesting. Imagine trusting yourself so much that you can choose to do something differently than you're told, or that you can choose to do something uniquely within the context of what's expected to you, for you, from you. What have we gained from learning in the old way? There's gotta be something, right? I mean, maybe you have a job that you like. Maybe you've created uh, ways to move in the world that reflect back to you what you wanna feel about yourself. So great. I know that what we've gained from this system of expectation around learning is a ton of information. Right, this was our, uh, the topic of our resilience call last month but there's a big difference between information and knowledge. And what we've been given in this system of learning is so much information that the outcome of all of this information is often overwhelm and greater distrust, more fear, more doubt. The information has not made us feel more comfortable. The knowledge is lacking, even though the information is overwhelming, right? We've gained what is colloquially become known as the imposter syndrome. Do you know this game? Uh, I know you know this, I'm gonna say it again. My job is to work with yoga teachers. That's what I do. Most people in my life are yoga teachers, even my friends. Uh, I can't tell you how many yoga teachers I work with and how many, how much feedback I get that they are faking it. That they don't really feel like they know what they're doing, that they're following an outlined script or plan 
um, or they're trying their best to do what their teachers told them to do, but they don't feel any confidence or trust in what they're offering. If nothing else, I hope that Virabhava gives you a different way to learn yoga. Yoga isn't a set of physical postures at all. I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but uh, people were doing stretches and they weren't yoga. And what I wanna tell you is there's a lot of people in a lot of yoga classes doing stretches that aren't yoga. Yoga is not something that you can generate outside of yourself. Yoga is your innate state of being. We talked about this way back in April. Go back and uh, check out on the virtual classroom page the, the lecture from April, but yoga is the experience of free fall. Yoga is the experience of not knowing, the experience of not knowing. Yoga is the liberation from the need for certainty and predictability and outcome. Yoga as an experience is the opportunity to be exactly where you are fully. When you can be exactly where you are fully, you are in yoga. You're not practicing it, you're in it. So if we're teaching our stretches as yoga, we will be teaching our stretches as a way to access that return. So there's a lot of yoga classes out there that might not even be teaching yoga. And that's okay. I'm guessing that you're here hanging out with me because one of those yoga classes made you realize that there was more to it than what you thought. And you thought, I'll come see what that lady has to say about it. And this is what I'm saying about it. The reason that you recognize there was more to it than what you thought is because there is, and it's in you, and it's always been in you, and you didn't need down dog to find it, and you didn't need to get the absolute perfect alignment of your feet and hips and warrior two to find it. Maybe you found it at, on a mountaintop. Maybe you found it at the base of a waterfall. Maybe you found it making love. Maybe you found it swimming in a, the ocean. Like you can find yoga everywhere. And the more you find it everywhere and the less you seek it in following the rules, the more the experience of yoga will be how you live instead of what you do when you get on your mat. I was about to talk about something. I made a sharp left turn from it. One of the things that we've gotten from all of this learning is what we call imposter syndrome. Have you heard this term, imposter syndrome? I don't really like the term because I think we're all uh, impostering until we get, until we're not, right? Uh, my ex-husband used to say, fake it till you make it, right? And I don't think that's a bad way to approach life. Let me say, I don't think that's a bad way to approach life. What I do wanna say is, how do you know when you've made it? The problem with imposter syndrome is it's self-perpetuating. So unless you are doing the work it takes to know what it is that you are, who you are, how the experience of you resonates, how you can become and live as your own authority in your life, making it is never something that you realize. No matter how much money you make, no matter how much stuff you have, no matter how great your relationship is, you're still searching. Have you felt that? No matter how much you have, you're still looking. It's because making it has been measured by external factors and not internal alignment, not yoga. 
So if you need to fake what it's like to be yourself until you can really figure out what it is to be yourself, please, by all means, do that as much as humanly possible. <laughs> we are so unnameable as individuals. Universes exist inside of us. And how are we to ever know which universe is most us unless we get out and play in them? Maybe we'll find that when we thought we were a contact improv dancer, we're actually not, right? But you won't know till you try. So rather than fake it till you make it, how about just try until you find yourself in the thing that you're doing, right? That is the nature of what it means to unlearn all of this stuff you're told is right. Here's the rule, to, here's what to do with your knee. Here's what to do with your foot. Okay, I'll try it. If I can't find myself in it, I'm gonna do it a different way, right? One of the biggest things we've learned from this sort of traditional or classic structure of uh, learning, even and especially in our yoga classes. So I hear these stories a lot. I hear these stories coming out of studios. I hear these stories coming out of trainings and it breaks my heart into a million little pieces all the time. That people are being told that the way they're teaching yoga is wrong, that the way they're practicing yoga is wrong that it's supposed to look a certain way. And if it doesn't look that way, then it's just not yoga. The biggest takeaway we've gotten from this current fairly modern model of education, I don't know if that's true, this North American, dominant culture of North American model of education is that we have learned at the highest level how to distrust ourselves. We, as a culture, are masters of distrust of ourselves. Yoga and, in my mind, my premise is resilience is simply trusting yourself. I don't say easily, I say simply. It is that simple. If you can trust yourself, then you're in the state of yoga and you are resilient. There's a big difference between being a survivor and being resilient. And that distance between survivorship and resiliency can be measured by self-trust. When you survive, but live in perpetual and constant fear Resiliency gets farther and farther away. But when you can survive the deepest trauma and come out still trusting yourself or returning to trusting yourself, that's resilience. And that's, that's the mark between the two places. Learning how to turn in over and over and over to question the feelings that arise. Compassionate, yes, compassionate disagreement. This is, my, this is my new favorite thing. Every time I have a feeling or an impulse, I compassionately disagree with myself. That's so cool. And then I go, really? Is it Kelly? <laughs> I compassionately disagree with myself all of the time because it's the only way I learn how to trust myself. That I can start to discern the difference between whether this impulse is really me or me responding to what's expected of me. Right? So when you disagree with yourself, when you go into that slightly uncomfortable, frictive place of, I want to call it interrogation, self-interrogation, then what you discover might be that you're more trustworthy than you thought and that you've always been trustworthy, regardless of the messages you've gotten from outside, right? 
Maybe you don't need to learn more in order to engage with the world. Maybe you don't need more practice. Maybe you don't need more money. Maybe you don't need a better job. Maybe you don't need all the things that the world around you has told you that you need before you start living as you in the world. Now, I'll make you a, a, a small promise and feel free uh, to tell me I'm wrong. But what the work that we do at Virabhava, that's all we do is teach you how to trust you. Now there's an expert panel there's people that have been practicing yoga for a long time, studying yoga for a long time, teaching yoga for a long time. But in no way, shape, or form will we ever claim authority over your practice. In no way, shape, or form will we ever tell you that what rises up in you is anything but you. And we'll poke at what rises up in you to make sure that you know if it's you or not. That's the promise I'll make. If you want to hang out with us, we do it so much all the time. Ask anybody on the call that does Virabhava Yoga. It's what we do. And you get, you start to become really comfortable questioning yourself. So many people in the world feel so uncomfortable questioning themselves. Maybe because their lives are built on external markers, on plot points, as opposed to internal experience. But when you start to practice Tantra in this way, when you start to look at yoga through this lens, questioning yourself becomes the generator. It becomes the engine for your practice. And by proxy, then you start questioning your teachers. And man, Virabhava teachers, we love it. Question us. Doubt us. We don't know everything. But hopefully what we do know is ourselves. We might do things really differently. And to a lot of people, they might look wrong. But we'll question who gets to say what's right. Maybe that's too rebellious. <laughs> so how do we get from where we are or this, this craving to know more in order to feel more safe or more comfortable to actually feeling more safe or more comfortable? Well, we start really simply. And I'm going to lead you through a little meditation to experience it, if that's okay with Rachel. Um, the first thing I'll say is start to pay attention to the little messages inside of you that are coming all the time that you have been taught to ignore. Your innate intelligence, your cellular level omniscience doesn't shout at you. It speaks in a barely audible whisper. And we must attune ourselves. We must learn how to listen for the whisper. Develop a practice of listening, not to everybody else, but to yourself. Some people call that meditation, and I do believe it can be, but I also believe you can do it whenever, wherever, all the time. I have a teacher that said, and if you've studied with me, you've heard this story a thousand times, but I have a teacher that said, if you want to practice listening to the innate guidance inside of yourself, open the closet every morning and don't pick out any clothes to wear until they speak to you. Don't pick out a shirt unless it glows and you know inside that you are guided to wear that shirt. Start in the smallest places, in the most insignificant ways, start handing over your authority to your inner knowing. Start in the little things, in the insignificant things, and watch it start to build confidence. Watch you start to build confidence and trust in yourself. 
Become really curious. This is my favorite piece of Tantra. We get to be curious about everything. Become really curious about everything you think. Like really curious. As soon as you have a thought, why did I think that? As soon as you have a feeling, why did I feel that? As soon as you have a judgment, why do I feel like I should judge that? The answer isn't always that your thoughts, feelings, or judgments are wrong. But if you don't know where they come from, then you are handing over your authority to something outside of you. Practice stretching your limits. The thing that you would always say no to, maybe say yes. Now, within we are living in pandemic times. Don't be stupid. But when you're at home alone <laughs> or with people, like start feeling into what your edges are. Tantra literally means to expand beyond your limitation. So what is that limit that every day you can push just a little? I think your asana mat is a great place to practice that. That when you get on your mat, you don't do the thing that you always do. You start stretching the limit of that thing, whether that means pulling back, way back out of it or going a little farther, expressing it differently. Practice there. The last thing, and maybe the most important thing, and the thing that I'll lead into a brief meditation about is learn what trust feels like inside your body. Learn what trust feels like inside. There is nothing outside of you that will give you a trustworthy experience. You are the only thing that can manifest trust in your life. And if you don't know what it feels like inside you're going to have a hard time knowing when you've found it in your environment, when you've encountered it in your thoughts, when you're resonating it in your feelings. So I'm going to ask you to come to a comfortable seat and lead you briefly through a practice of trust. So if you're driving, please don't stop driving. That would be dangerous, not just for you, but for everybody else. If you're not in a place where a seated position is available to you, then you don't have to sit. All you have to do is tune in, right? Don't close your eyes if it's putting anybody at risk. So wherever you are, take a moment and feel your own breath. Now I know if you're good yoga students and have been going to a lot of yoga classes, the first thing to do is to start making this breath look or act or behave a certain way. I'm gonna encourage you not to do that right now. And literally, quite literally, just observe the breath that you're breathing. Become aware of its movement. Does it fill your lungs or just a small part of your lungs? When the breath moves into the lungs, do the ribs lift or do they stay still? Does the diaphragm expand and contract or is it unmoving? Is there sensation in places that might not even feel associated with breathing that ebbs and flows with the inhale and exhale? How curious can you become about this transformational experience of breathing where air transforms into life-giving breath and then breath transforms into life-giving air? How are you receiving it? How are you responding? How is it changing in a moment to moment way as you watch it. 
Now, please imagine the last time you felt absolute trust. We're living in weird times, so you may have to go way back in the memory banks. But the last time you felt like you could trust something, anything, anyone, any experience, absolutely without doubt. Paint a picture of it in your mind. Where were you? Who were you with? How did it feel inside? How do you know you were trusting? What does trust feel like remembered? Now, please begin to release the scene. Keep the feeling, maybe even keep the people. But the circumstance and the environment, just drop it away. Keep feeling the feeling of trust inside. However, that is expressing itself internally, but let go of the need for it to happen in a certain place or a certain time. Now please drop away all of the actors in the play. Keep feeling the feeling of trust, but release the object of your trust if it's outside of you. Release the people that hold the space for you to trust. And feel the feeling of trust living inside of you, expressing itself in you as you. Feel the feeling of trust. This is what we call a bhava. It's the essence of the sensation. So this feeling of trust is innately you. It does not require others. It does not require a specific place or circumstance or outcome to your story. This feeling of trust, even if you're just at the very edge of it or haven't yet found it, this feeling when you can access it is the innate experience of who you are. It is yoga. So when you step out of this concentrated space, this focused place and into the world, keep remembering what this feels like. There's your learning. Keep remembering what trust feels like and know that it's in there. It's something that you can touch. It's something that you can feel. Use this as the calibration of your compass of choice and carry it forward with you into your asana practice. So you can gently begin to open your eyes, come back as I pass the torch on to Rachel. Thank you guys for your time. Thanks for being here. Enjoy your asana class. Thanks for listening, friends. If you are curious about what we do or are interested in learning more, please check out our website, virabhavayoga.com. Use the coupon code PODCAST2021 
to receive 20% off everything on the site just for listening. Thanks for being here.